good to be back at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning, and uh, glad to have those who are here. Glad to have those who are watching online. Uh, we're going to be back in our sermon series in the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter 15, we'll be looking at the first seven verses, Lord willing. Romans chapter 15. Uh, the message is titled, Critical or Christ-like? Critical or Christ-like? Romans chapter 15 and here the Bible says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the, uh, the reading of your word today. Lord, we're just praying now that you help us Lord, open our minds and our hearts to be able to receive your word. May it go inside and just do a mighty work in our hearts, Lord. And may we share this message further than these four walls. God, share it with the world. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I did want to mention um, a prayer request. My mother called me this morning. She had fell last night and uh, knocked her arm out of socket and she was in the emergency room all night. Uh, she is still in North Carolina with my sister. So you pray for her that she'll heal okay. We're thankful that nothing else happened, no broken bones, but uh, remember my mother in your prayers. And uh, remember Brother Jonathan's daughter as well. She's sick and so you remember uh, her. All right, well, in this uh, text that we just read, as we pick up where Paul's left off from the previous chapter, it's kind of dealing with the same thing, only he's getting a little more pointed here of how we are to behave ourselves with fellow church members. And as I told you, the, the title of the message is Critical or Christ-like. Uh, here Paul is urging us that our actions and the way we treat other people is to be Christ-like. And so let's look at first, uh, verse 1 there again. And, and remember also, this is concerning those who Paul has designated either weak in the faith, faith or strong in the faith. Um, and we, we talked about this last time. Those weak in the faith are those who had not accepted the liberties that are in Christ once you're saved. They were still wanting to cling to the old uh, laws, the Mosaic laws and rituals, the Jewish um, things that they were doing before. And in those strong in the faith were those who had accepted their new liberty in Christ and knew that all things were, were lawful now. And so they weren't concerned with keeping Mosaic laws or feast days or abstaining from foods and drink that they used to be. And so Paul here is including, if you notice there in verse one, he says, we, we then that are strong. He's talking about those strong in the faith. He is including himself here. And so uh, he is saying that we that are strong in the faith, uh, as it should, it says that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. 
Now that word ought right there, I know we a lot of times we use it in a way such as, you know, you ought to do this, and thinking that that person probably won't do it, but we say you ought to. Well, Paul here, this word ought is more of a meaning is this is how Christians behave. Not it's a choice, it is what you're supposed to do. And so when you're strong in the faith, you ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's what you ought to be doing. In other words, that's that's what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> and uh, he says, if you notice there, it says not to please ourselves. Now that's one of the problems today is everybody wants to please themselves. It is a me, myself, and I generation has been for years. And so uh, what Paul is saying here, even though we have the, these liberties in Christ, this freedom that we know is, is lawful, that we should not use that for our own um, pleasure or uh, to, to even flaunt it in front of others. Instead, we need to bear the infirmities of those in the weak of the faith, the weaker faith, those that haven't quite got there yet, that's not grasped the, the freedoms in Christ. And so pleasing ourselves really should be the, the last concern uh, of anybody. And, and especially in a church setting, Church members, we ought to be looking out for the other uh, members. We ought to be doing things. We, one of the main reasons for coming to the church, besides of the worship of the Lord, is that we come to edify one another. Now, we talked about that word edify last time, or edification, and how what that means is to build up, to make stronger. And so when we get together as a congregation, as a body of believers, uh, one of the main things that we are to do, the Bible instructs us to do, is to edify one another. In fact, the spiritual gifts that God gives us is for the edification of the church. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve. Even so, ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. So don't think that God gave you these gifts just for you to enjoy or to be able to go around and say, hey, God's really gifted me. I can sing. I can do this and do that. But he did that so that you would edify the church. And edifying the church ultimately means glorifying God. And you're going to notice that everything that Paul is talking here is for the glorification of God, not man. We're not to be uh, glorified. Uh, Paul goes into great detail about this type of thinking to the church at Corinth. If you want to look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, looking at verses 23 through 33, uh, Paul is, is helping this church. And I know we say this a lot when we're talking about Corinthians. It's the troubled church. Uh, it's the church. They had a lot of different people there. Uh, a big mixture of Jew, Gentile, they had slaves, they had rich people, they had poor people. It was a very large church, and so they were having to deal with a lot of problems because of the differences in people's lifestyles and, and culture and the way they were brought up differently. And so Paul spends a great deal of time. In fact, the, the books to Corinthians are the longest of Paul's writings, First uh, and Second Corinthians. But look at 1 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 23. It says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Do you see that? Not everything edifies. 
Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. This is the same thing he's saying to the Romans. You know, he says not to please ourselves, but to bear the infirmities of the weak. He says, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for the conscience sake, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, here we know that Paul says, all things are lawful to me. But here he's saying, if someone tells you that this has been offered up for a sacrifice, don't eat it. Why? They said that for the, the express reason to let you know this is usually considered unlawful. Uh, why else would they tell you? This has been offered up to idols. You know? Because in that day, anything offered up to idols, the Jews were forbidden to eat it. And so here Paul is saying, look, if that case comes up, just don't eat it. That way you don't offend your brother. Those weaker in the faith, the ones that would go, oh, I can't believe he's eating that. That's unlawful. Verse 29, Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? And so Paul's saying, look, it's not to ease your conscience for eating or abstaining from things given over to idols. It's for that one that will be offended. It's for their conscience sake. Verse 30, for if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Verse 32, give none offense, neither to the Jews nor the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Again, the emphasis is put on edification of the church. And, and Paul here is saying it doesn't matter if they're a Jew that's going to be offended, whether a Gentile that used to, to sacrifice to idols, and, and, and whether it be just all members of the church. What we want to do is make sure we're edifying the church and we're not offending people. Uh, in fact, that's what he's referring to in our next verse in Romans 15, verse 2. He says, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. There it is. To promote growth, to build up. Uh, it seems too many people would rather tear down these days than build up. We've got a lot of critical people today. Critical or Christ-like. Remember, again, the message. Are you critical or are you, are you Christ-like in your actions? Especially when it's dealing with church, in the church setting. Uh, it seems that a lot of people want to build themselves up, be seen high up on a pedestal, uh, and they could care less about the spiritual growth of other people. One of the th things that we do need to be really concerned with is the spiritual growth of young Christians, uh, people new to the faith. It's imperative that they learn the truths. They need to learn the Bible. They need to learn doctrine. They need to learn theology. Now, it, they can't. you can't throw it all up at once at them. It takes time. And so, therefore, if someone comes to the knowledge of Christ, they get saved, they need somebody, a mentor. They need a, a, to be discipled is what they need. So discipleship is missing in most churches today. 
All anybody wants to do is get somebody saved and, and put another check mark in the books. Uh, we had another baptized. They want to brag about how many they had baptized. Uh, back when we used to be part of the convention, they would send us these surveys every year wanting to know how many people were baptized in the church. See, this is, this is a great deal for them. They want to be able to brag and say this many people you know, were baptized in Baptist churches and Southern Baptist Convention and all this stuff. Uh, I hated those things. I just I didn't send them back because it really is, frankly, it's none of their business how many was baptized in the church. Uh, but it's we should not be concerned about things like that, about how many people are in the church, how, how big it is, how much money's in the bank. Instead, we need to focus upon discipleship of the members. The members should, should be biblical. They should be discipled. They should understand the things of God. I tell you, I grew up in some churches that were pathetic when it came to that. They didn't know nothing. They didn't teach you nothing. You go to Sunday school and sit there and listen to jokes and, and talk about the weekend and movies and everything else. Never any discipleship in any of those churches that I grew up in. Uh, that's, that's, that's a bad thing. It wasn't until later on in life I got older and, and was under preachers that actually taught the Bible instead of getting up and huffing, puffing, and blowing your house down and hacking so bad you couldn't understand a word they were saying. Uh, it wasn't until I got under men that were preaching the Bible that I started understanding the Bible and understood doctrine of God. And those things is what's edifying the church. It's not seeing how many people jump up and scream and, and, and walk pews or whatever their people today think is, is church. Uh, you know, that's nothing but a flesh show. It's a rock and roll flesh show is all that is. And so what we need to do is to edify, to promote growth, to build up, to disciple other believers so that their spiritual condition is lifted. These that were weak in the faith, they needed to hear doctrine. They needed for people to constantly remind them, you know, uh, in Christ we have freedom. Uh, in Christ we no longer have to observe those Mosaic laws. And eventually it will come to them. Eventually they will grow in faith and, and start building. And so that's edifying. So we use the spiritual gifts that God gives us for that purpose, to build up the spiritual growth of the members of the church. And, of course, to glorify God, which is the, is the overall uh, reason. But let me ask you this. Do you find yourself a lot of times sitting in church, looking at other people, uh, maybe observing the song service, you know, the choir leader, the pastor, uh, the, the, the accompanist, or, or whatever it is, the special singer? Do you find yourself sitting there looking for problems? It's easy to do. Uh, you can sit there and start being critical, criticizing. Ooh, who told her that dress looked good on her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why is that guy getting up and singing again? He can't carry a tune in a bucket. And so we can sit there and start criticizing everything going on in the service instead of looking for the spiritual part of the service. And that is what's missing in most churches, a spiritual church. Instead, we have a bunch of critics that come in to observe, uh, to just um, uh, be a, um, uh, a spectator. They want to sit like they're in a, a ball game or a movie theater, and they want to inspect, and they want to you know, just watch and, and criticize and, and all this, instead of looking for the deeper things of God. 
Now, there is a, I've, I've talked about this before, but there was a man, he's, he's gone now, he's went on with the Lord two years, uh, this December, it'll be two years. His name is Ray Dockery. Ray Dockery was as blind as you could be. Uh, he, he went from church to church, almost every homecoming I went to, no matter where it was at, Ray Dockery was there, and he sang, and he sung like nobody you've ever heard before. Now, if he had went on American Idol, they would have laughed him off the stage and told him that he didn't ever need to sing again. That's the world. The world would look at him that way. But when he got up to sing, it may not have been pitch perfect. It may not have been one of those, uh, you know, that you would consider a great singer, but he was filled with the Spirit. Uh, that little blind man would get up there and he would start singing, Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. And uh, I'd rather hear him than, than the greatest singer in the world. You know, a lot of people, they fill up these stadiums. Garth Brooks will come and sell out the stadium. Kenny Chesney will come and sell out Nathan Stadium. Ray Dockery wouldn't have sold 15 tickets if he'd, if he'd had a concert and it'd been everybody that, in his family and everybody knew him. But I'd go hear him over any of these, these other people. Uh, so there's a spirit that should be present in the church service, and that comes through using our spiritual gifts that God gives us. That song you get up to sing, and we get so worried about, you know, if I'm going to sound right, am I going to be off key, am I going to do it right, am I going to mess up, and, and all this stuff, that doesn't matter. What matters is you're getting up for the glory of God to sing this song, to glorify Him. It don't matter if you can carry a tune. As long as you're doing it for the Lord, that's all that matters. I'd rather see that than anything else. But we can find ourselves easily being critical of other people. You know, boy, the pastor just didn't have it today. He just, he's off. I don't know. I, I would have done better than that. That Sunday school teacher, i tell you what. Yeah. Ooh, that choir today, they sounded terrible. You know, and we, and we do those kinds of things. And so if you're not careful, you will develop a critical spirit. And instead of coming to church to worship and to edify, we spend it sitting around looking at other people. And if they don't meet our standards, then uh, we're not happy. Uh, look, it shouldn't matter what what's going on. We need to understand that we're in church to glorify God. All right, verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Now, if that don't put you in your place, I don't know what will. Paul says, look, don't please ourselves. But then he comes right out and says, for even Christ pleased not himself. Of anybody that had the right to do whatever he wanted, uh, anything he pleased, it would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't even please himself. And he quotes uh, scripture there from the Psalms. <clears throat> but, uh, or, yeah, the reproaches them that uh, reproach thee fell on me. That is, uh, <clears throat> that's from the Psalms, uh, Psalm 69 and 9. It says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Uh, this verse is actually referred to in a few different places in the New Testament. 
the Lord Jesus, uh, there was a time when uh, he was he was speaking to a great number of people, Pharisees, Sadducees, the disciples were there and all that, and he was talking about uh, eternal life. And uh, even in the, in the garden when he was praying, you remember in agony he was praying, and he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's another example of how Christ could have done what he wanted to, but he said, not my will. I'm not pleasing myself. I'm not going to do that which I desire. I'm doing that which you desire, Father. But he did not come here to sacrifice himself just for his own benefit. He didn't do it to get some kind of charge out of it. He gave himself as a sacrifice to do the will of the Father. Listen to what he says in John 6, 38 through 40. He said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So there the Lord is saying, you know, I didn't come down here to please myself or to do my own will. I did it the will of the Father. Uh, and so that verse there in uh, Romans, he says, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So Paul, of course, talking from the Psalms, uh, we've already read it, for the zeal of thine house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Uh, David actually wrote that in the Psalms in reference to how he was being persecuted because of his zeal for God and his house. And so they were persecuting David for his, his zeal of God. Uh, unfortunately, that is one of the repercussions of anyone who stands on God's side. Anybody that stands up and claims to be a Christian and claims that they're going to stand for what's right in God's eyes, they're going to be looked at by the world. They're going to look down by the world. The world hates anything to do with Christianity. They hate anything to do with, with God, especially if you mention Jesus. They hate it. And so they just don't get it. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Yesterday I was reading on, on Facebook, uh, Brother Tom Hatley, he posted this uh, little thing that was, it, it just perfectly uh, shows us how this, this happens. Listen to this. It says, secular person, I want to do X. In other, you know, whatever it is they want to do. Whatever sin they want to do. That's the secular person. The world. Say it that way. The Christian, you're free to do it. The secular person, but you think X is wrong. The Christian, yes. Secular person, because you want to control me. Christian, no, you're free to do whatever you wish. Secular person, but you think X is wrong. Christian, yes, but only because I want what's best for you. Secular person, but I want to do X. Christian, you're free to do it. Secular person, but I want you to say that X is good. Christian, I can't say that. Secular person, why are you such a hateful, intolerant bigot? That's the mindset of the world right there. We want to do what we want to do, don't matter what it is or sin, but we want you, we want you to okay it. 
We want you to be on board. Why do you think we spend the month of June celebrating Pride Month? Where they take God's rainbow and turn it into something disgusting. Why do you think that happens? Uh, entire month to celebrate sin. An entire month. We celebrate, what was it, Memorial Day one day. For those that gave their life to this country, we used one day, and that was used up to eat hot dogs and, and mow the yard. But yet the entire month of June, businesses going to wave their rainbow flags. They're going to, going to push the pride agenda, the gay agenda. Why? Because we want to do this and we want you to accept it. We're going to cram it down your throat. And so this same scripture here this in Psalms is mentioned in the Gospel of John. And again, I was talking about it while ago and I forgot about it, but Jesus teaching there in the temple in John 2 and 14, it says, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Verse 16, And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise, Listen to this, verse 17. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And so that psalm had a, a double meaning. One for David and, and the persecution he had been going under. Here it has another one that the Lord is. He comes into the place that's supposed to be God's house. And we have the world in there selling things, changing money, money changers. And uh, so... The zeal of thine house is eating me up. Jesus loved God's house, and he knew that that was wrong. But yet the world looks at it, and what do you mean we can't buy and sell inside the church? <laughs> the truth is men hate the Lord. They will do and say anything they want against you if they know you're a Christian. It's funny that most faith groups are protected. You start saying things about the Muslims. You say, say things against the you know, uh, the Jews or anybody else. And, oh, that's forbidden. But when it comes to Christians, we don't care. Say whatever you want to about them. It doesn't matter. All right, verse 4 back in Romans 15 and 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That is an extremely important verse in, in case you missed it. Look at it again. Think about what it's saying. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now that verse is not one of the favorites that you're going to hear from these modern day worldly preachers. Joe Olstein is not going to teach on this verse. Andy Stanley is not going to touch it. In fact, Andy Stanley, about four years ago, and one of his sermons was preaching, and he got on the Old Testament, and here's what he said. He says that we must be unhitched from the Old Testament. He went as far as to say this. Peter, James, and Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures, and my friends, we must as well. What? Peter, James, and Paul unhitched from the Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures? Really? That's all they had. 
the Jewish scriptures all they had until the New Testament started begin writing. Paul was writing these books. All they had was the Old Testament scriptures. And so that's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying right here in our text in Romans 15, 4. He said those things written aforetime. And he's referring to the Old Testament. He's not referring to secular books. There's some nut jobs out there that say, well, he could have been mean in any books. No, he's referring to the scripture. He says they were written for our learning. Nowhere did I see where Paul said, you need to unhitch from those Old Testament scriptures. That stuff written aforetime, unhitch from that. <laughs> no, that's not in there. Listen, I know that the scriptures were written for specific groups of people at times. They were, it was written for the Jews. It was written for the Gentiles. It was written for the church. There are certain groups of people that some scripture was written specifically for. But all scripture is written for our benefit. That's what Paul said there in our verse. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so while we may not be under the old covenant or the Mosaic laws and restrictions, God's moral law, which is written aforetime, which is in the Old Testament, is still binding on Christians today. His moral law is still binding. And so, as Paul says in our text, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. These things that we read in the Old Testament, you don't need to unhitch from them. You need to read it and learn from it. We can learn from the mistakes of David. We can learn from the mistakes of these men in the past, Abraham, Isaac. They all were filled with mistakes, but yet God used them. And so we can use that as an example. And Paul says it even gives us patience and comfort and and hope it gives you hope to know that it gives me great hope thinking about men in the past that that uh, were sinful but yet god still was using them in a mighty way it lets me know that i'm in good company you're in good company because all of us have sinned and come toward the glory of god we'll continue to do that but yet god can still use us and so uh, I like how Paul explained it to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Do you see that? Those things that were written aforetime. Timothy, you've been taught these things. Remember these things. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see that? Even the Old Testament can bring you to faith in Christ. Even without the New Testament. You can come to faith in Christ through the Old Testament. That's what Paul said. Verse 16, then he goes on to, to say this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Make sure you notice that in verse 16, he says all. Not some, not a portion, not a part of, but all. He didn't say, well, Timothy, look, some of those scriptures that you learned as a child, they're good for you. They're for your benefit. But now some of them are not. No, he said they're all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. And so 
If we go back to our text in Romans 15, starting verse 5, let's look at the last three verses, 5, 6, and 7. It says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Did you notice twice Paul points toward glorifying God? He said, we're to glorify God there in verse 6. With our mouths, with our one mind together, we glorify God. And he said, Christ received us to the glory of God. So everything Christ did was for the glory of God. Everything we do should be for the glory of God. So what about it? Are you critical or are you Christ-like? Um, there is also another emphasis here of being like-minded. We don't need to leave that out. Like-minded with our fellow church members. One mind, it says. And this is how the church should operate. There should not be different mindsets within the church. Uh, not that each individual can't have their own ideas or or likes, or, or whatever, uh, beliefs. But at the core of it, all members of the church should have like-minded beliefs in, in what we believe doctrinally, what we believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We should all share together of one mind. Uh, that That's how a church needs to operate. The first century church, they weren't perfect. They had their problems. And that's all the books of Corinthians. That's what it's about. Dealing with problems. However, we do read in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32, that, that that early church, they had things in common. It says there in Acts 4 and 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them, and brought the, the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, like I said, the church wasn't perfect, but boy, right there, that ought to be a lesson for us. This church came together, all things in common, one heart, one soul, the Bible says. They were like-minded. In fact, they thought more about their fellow church member than they did themselves. What Paul say in everything? Don't plead yourself. Even Christ didn't do that. That early church, they were more concerned about helping their fellow Christian. So much so, they were willing to sell what they had and divide it among people so that everyone had something. Uh, how many people are willing to do that today? Would you sell your home and, and give the proceeds to those that were in need? I dare say that most of us would not. Uh, but what's missing in most churches is the Christ-like spirit. There's too much carnal spirit in the church. Too much critical spirit in the church. Way too many critics. And this all is a result from pride. Uh, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Pride is the catalyst behind every single sin. Every sin. You look it up. You look through the Bible and find when men have sinned, and it is always a result of pride. The very first sin committed 
in the garden, pride. What? What pride? They want to be like God. They want to be their own be gods. They want to know everything. They want to be like him. Pride. They thought they ought to have the same things as God did and be lifted up and, and looked at as a God. It was pride. All through the Bible, every time a man commits a sin, it's because of the pride in his heart. Somebody steals something. Why? Because they think they deserve that thing more than the other person does. Pride. Even if you're hungry and you steal, you may be doing it you know, for uh, to please your, your belly, but it's still a prideful thing that you're going to go and take it from someone instead of going and asking. Uh, it, it's all pride. Every sin is pride. And so don't miss there what Paul says about why we should have a Christ-like spirit. Look at it again, verse 6. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So ultimately, that's what it all boils down to. Are we pleasing God? If you're sitting in church with a critical spirit, judging everything that takes place, tearing down everybody that, that gets up to, to do something for the Lord, that's not glorifying God. Um, we need to remember that to glorify God, we must have a Christ-like spirit about us. We must say to ourselves, you know, Christ didn't come to please himself. What You know, that old cliche from that, that book, uh, what would Jesus do? You, know, you don't have to wear a bracelet just to think about that. But think about it. What would Jesus do in this situation? So that guy can't sing. He can't carry a tune in a bucket. Is Jesus going to sit there and tear him down? He's going to say, next. Somebody jerk this guy off the stage. This guy can't carry a tune. Would that be the spirit of Christ? Certainly not. Because he looks at what's on the inside. That man standing there may not be able to sing, but down in his heart, he has love for the Lord, and he's doing whatever he thinks he needs to do. We should have that same Christ-like spirit about us. Get that critical spirit away. We need help with it. The Lord will help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the message. Lord, if it's not helped another single soul, it's helped me. Lord, it's convicted my heart. Lord, it's so easy to be critical of others. God, please help us get our pride out of the way. Lord, help us rid ourselves of a critical spirit. May we have a more Christ-like mind. Lord, help us with it. You're the only one that can do it. Help us, Lord. Lord, help those today that are lost. May we be able to reach them, Lord, with something we can say from your word. Lord, and, and help them. God, help those that's listening right now. There may be that one out there online. Maybe they're on Facebook or, or YouTube or wherever they're, they're listening to this. And God, that they're, they're struggling. Lord, would you help them? Lord, give them peace that passes all understanding. Lord, may we give you the glory for everything. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Don't forget, next Sunday, we will not be holding services here at Porchlight. We're going to be at Northside Baptist Church again, helping them out. Uh, Brother Scott, uh, he contacted me there a couple of weeks ago. I told him I could do that. It's on the 12th, I believe is the date. So uh, remember that. No services here at Porchlight next Sunday. Instead, meet with us at Northside Baptist Church.
All right. Are our hearts and minds clear this morning? All right. Good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll see you all next time.